And then chapter 13, as we close, it helps us step into this idea of now, how do we take this and influence our world? Step into the world and become an influencer. Not a TikTok influencer that does anything, but just somebody who is, as we live our lives, are living in such a way that people go, there's something different. That's, why are you living this way? Why are you experiencing joy in the midst of difficulty? Why are you experiencing peace while your circumstances are falling apart around you? What is going on? And that's where influence, true influence is. And last week we said influence is built around two things. And the first half of the chapter 13 dealt with the first one, which are specific interactions in our life. Interactions that we deal with all the time. And we went through this last week. If you weren't here, you can catch it online. Go back and listen to it. And it's this idea that we can, you know, we need to be hospitable, how we deal with strangers. And then we talked about how we deal with those in need, showing compassion. Then we talked about honoring those and the interactions with those that we love the most. And they use the example of a spouse. And then we finally talked about our interactions with our resources and how we live with contentment. And so as we go through our daily life, you're going to come across strangers, people in need, people you love and the things that you own. And if we're gonna be a person of influence, a person that really lives differently, we've got to change our interactions with those. Showing hospitality, showing compassion, being content, honoring people that we love. But the second part of chapter 13 doesn't leave us with just interactions. It talks about something a little deeper. So to be a person of influence is the idea of not just interactions, but now becoming a person with the right intentions in our life. Because the truth is, I can try to be content, I can try to love others, show compassion, and be hospitable to people, but if I'm not doing it with the right intentions, it's really meaningless, right? It's no different. Maybe I'm doing that to create control in somebody's life. I'll show you compassion, I'll do something for you, but guess what? Now you gotta do something for me. Or I'm gonna honor you as a spouse or somebody I love, but I'm only doing that to get something back in response. And so we're going to look at intentions today and how they change our life. An intention is something that you plan for, you aim at, you work to accomplish. It isn't just a desire or a hope. It is something that we put effort into making happen over the course of an extended period of time. Maybe you can think about an example in your own life where you say, you know, I want this. I really want something. And you either had to save money for it, or you had to spend time learning a new skill growing in that. I remember when I was growing up, I thought I wanted to play the piano. And so I'd seen, I don't know why I was at somewhere and somebody was playing the piano. It looked cool. And so my parents began to pay for me to take piano lessons. Well, then I enjoyed going to the lessons. It was fun. I could hear somebody play. Then they sent me home with this book of practices that I had to do every day. Well, I was like, no, I don't need to do that. I'll just show up to the lesson, right? And after six months, I can't figure out why I couldn't play anything on the piano because I was only, I had this great idea, this hope, but I was not putting the intentional work in every day to accomplish this. Same thing happened a couple of few Christmases ago. Katie was, my wife was like, she wanted to play the guitar. So I got a guitar for her birthday, and I was like, I learned, I'm gonna get her lessons, go ahead, buy the lessons, she's gonna go, I got like three or four months of lessons, and the guitar's sitting in our, you know, catching dust somewhere, it wasn't enough for her, it was a desire, but an intention is something different. And I want you to hear this this morning, an intention is that you and I 
choose, are making a choice to do something and we're willing to put in the time, the sacrifice, and the effort to make it happen. And these are what they're going to challenge us to do, to have certain intentions, not just hopes and desires and wish that these would happen, but these three intentions that we're going to look at this morning, the writers of Hebrews are saying, get to work at this. Put the effort in. Have an intentional effort to do this. And so we're going to look at three of these uh, this morning before we have our time of communion together. So the first intention is found in verse 7 and 8, and it says this. Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcomes of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the first intention that you and I should have is to do this. Find maturing mentors in our life. It says right, remember your leaders, those who are speaking the word of God into you. Look at their lives, imitate their lives. It is so easy to live a life that doesn't value outside input or influence. We like to think of ourselves as having the ability to figure everything out, understand everything that comes our way. We think that every new thought that we have is a, is a new thought to the world, right? We just figured out something great. We approach life as if we already possess all the tools we need to make it through. And not just to survive, we think we've got the tools to, to build something meaningful, with our lives. But the truth is the exact opposite is true. That you and I are not born with all the tools, all the knowledge, all the understanding that we have. And so finding maturing mentors is having an intention to grow in your understanding, to grow in your understanding of how life works, how things go about, taking in new things. And this is what the writers challenge us to do. And they use two key words here. They say, remember your leaders and imitate their way of life. The idea of remember is this. When you come to a point in your life where you hit a, a roadblock, or you face a new challenge, or something that you don't understand comes into your life, they're saying stop and remember that there are people in your life that have faced these change, same challenges, that have come across these same obstacles, so remember them that they have faced these and consider the outcomes of their life. Consider what they have done. Learn from them. Remember that you have help and you have examples to follow. And then it says, not just remember that they are people that have made it through, but imitate them. Imitate godly leaders. And the best way to for imitate is not just from a distance, right? To like kind of see somebody from a distance. The best way to imitate is to get up close, to get connected and as close as you can to those that have dealt with this in their lives. And the best way that I would say for us to do this, to kind of put it into one phrase is this, be willing to learn new things from new people. Be willing to learn new things from new people. Don't, don't isolate yourself. This is the challenge to have mentors in your life. We need a plethora of people to speak into a plethora of issues in our life. So how do we do this? I'm going to take away I've done it in my life. In my recent adult years, I've tried to be intentional in building mentoring relationships. And I found that having a plan to do that is key. And the goal isn't to have just one mentor that gives me advice in every area of my life. I know some wise people in my life that mentor me, but you know what? There's not one person that has every answer for everything in my life. And so it's not just having that one, but a team of people that I can reach out to in times of need. So if I have 
I've developed a strategy of trying to connect with a specific person for a specific topic for a specific length of time. So I may say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with forgiveness right now. I'm having problem forgiving somebody. But I know, I can see in your life that it, you would seem to let forgiveness flow through you freely. Can I meet with you four or five times and talk about this topic and, and to really discuss it and learn from you? And they're going to say, well, I'm not perfect in that, but, but you're farther along than I am. And so as I step in, I'm, I'm asking them to allow me to come into their life for a season. I remember that I have seen them do something that I want to do, and I want to get close enough to their lives so that I can then imitate what they do. This is what the writers say, remember and then imitate. And this gives me the opportunity to learn firsthand and then to have this person come along to be part of my team, my resource, people that I can reach out to when times of challenge come. I remember when I first moved to the city, how this played out. Uh, as we came in, it's almost 10 years ago now that uh, Katie and PJ and Natalie and I moved to New York, and, and there was no New City Church at the time. Uh, most of you in this room, I'd say almost 100% of people in this room, besides my two kids, I didn't know You know, at this time. There's nobody. And so we were placed with another church, uh, graffiti church down in the Lower East Side, and a guy named Taylor Field was set as my mentor there, just to kind of learn under, get my feet wet, uh, learn the city. And there are so many lessons that I think that I learned from Taylor in that first year that we were here. There are things I just wrote down about church and life and ministry. There, he, he told me, he says, Patrick, whatever you do, as you start to build your cycles of your life here in the city, take a day for yourself every week. Take a day. He said, you can't you can't give and give and give and not take some time to rest. And I've tried to build that into the rhythm of my life. He would always ask me this question every time. We, well, what are you doing right now that brings you joy? And I was like, I don't know, I'm busy. And he was like, no, hold on. You ought to be doing something in your life regularly that brings you joy. Like what well, he would ask me that question. And I knew I needed to build that in the cycle of my life. And he always told me this. He's like, Patrick, I know you love New York. You're excited to be moving here. You're, you're falling in love with the city, but he said, there's going to come a time when you've got to leave the city to still love the city. You've got to take, take a break. And I was like, you're crazy, Taylor. I'm like, no. Like, people, people come here from everywhere in the world, want to experience this. Well, it took about six months. So I'm like, I need a break. I need a break from New York. And uh, I just remember all of these things that he poured into my life. And the great thing about Taylor, it wasn't just to see that he's a guy that's still on my team. If I need him, I can call him right now. But I don't talk to him regularly right now. I don't see him every week. I don't see him in all these times of my life. But he is somebody. He is a leader in my life that I have remember when I need him. And I try to imitate many of the things he taught me. And this is intentional. And too often we think, yeah, I should get somebody to mentor me. I need some help in this area. And then we never do anything about it. And this is why the challenge is this morning, as it says, don't remember your leaders, those who speak the word of God to you, those who are in front of you in parts of their spiritual journey. And then the other thing before we move on to the next piece I want you to hear is most of you in here, I think, are also leaders that can lead other people in certain areas of your life. You can mentor somebody. You can meet with somebody for a specific amount of time on a specific topic that you have learned and that you have grown in and help others grow. You can be a part of somebody's team in this city and in their life and in this church. 
So we need to find maturing mentors. And I would say there are many, and I use the word maturing instead of mature, because none of us are mature, right? We are all maturing. So we can, you can be maturing in one area and still struggling in an area and be, help somebody in that area. So where do we find maturing mentors? In our faith family. In places like this, as we get to know one another and say, I need to learn that from you. So that's the first intention. But the second one is found in verse 9, and it says this. Now do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. So the second intention that we have to have is to continually seek righteous wisdom. Seek righteous wisdom. We live in a world and a time that is very easy to find and be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Anybody who wants a platform to speak out and spout out their crazy ideas has not just one platform, but now has multiple platforms that they can get their message out. You know, YouTube, social media, anywhere that they want. They can create a platform. They, whether anybody's watching or not, they can get it out there. And it makes everybody's voice feel important and heard and, and elevates, you know, conjecture and crazy ideas to the same level sometimes as proven truth. And this is what we, what seeking righteous wisdom does. It gives us the intention that we have to grow in discernment, to grow in discernment. We must have the intention to grow in discernment. This warning is needed for us today as it was, as it was for the original recipients of this letter. What are what it labels diverse and strange teachings? It's, it isn't just some ramblings of some internet troll that's trying to garner a following. Instead, strange and diverse teachings primarily do this. They move us away from the established truth of God. Our creator, the ultimate authority, the author of wisdom, they work to move us away from that. And I think these strange and diverse teachings that move us away from the established truth of God have a few things in common. And one is this. These type of sayings or teachings never bring peace, and they keep bringing up more questions than answers. When you get on this cycle, they create this loop and cycle that just keep us thinking that the next piece of information that I'm going to uncover will give me the answer and reveal the truth, but the actual thing is they just keep us wanting more. They never answer a question. It just keeps going in a loop. I've seen this like on social media stuff now. That you'll be watching something and I you'll realize about three minutes in, they are just dragging you along to keep you watching for as long as you can. Then you get to the end, and you're like, I can tell there's five seconds left. They're, we're not going to get the answer here. And then it's like, subscribe for part two. Subscribe for part three. Part four, and you're like, oh my gosh, stop. I'm in this loop where I'm just on this journey with no end. Strange and diverse teachings never lead us anywhere. And to, so for, for a loop, going back and back and back. Same thing, second thing is this. These strange and diverse teachings are based on conjecture, speculation, inference, or suppositions rather than measured and tested calculations, conclusions, and reality. They're conjecture, speculation. They like to present themselves as an authority, but in reality, all they have done is simply created their own echo chamber in which the voices affirming their views are just those that have been parroting them back to them. It's a closed group. I say it, you say it back, and we believe it because we've said it to each other. It's no truth. It's just conjecture. I can say what I want. You know, whatever I want about God, whatever I want about other people, and if I can get enough people in a room to just repeat it back to me, 
then all of a sudden it becomes some form of truth, right? That this is, we see this often, often in strange and diverse teachings. And then the third thing that I find about these that are similar is they elevate the new or different way of thinking and they shun established thought and practice, which means that they constantly have to what? They have to constantly be coming up with something new to say and believe in because what they said yesterday is now old. What they said last month or last year is old. And so it's constantly having to come up with a new thought, a new idea. But the truth is this, that this actually gives no room for the existence of established truth and makes truth relative to whatever the most current circumstance, desire, or problem is. There's nothing foundational. It all becomes based on what I'm feeling right now, what I'm dealing with right now. And these are what strange and diverse teachings do. That's why people get off on loops and in cycles, echo chambers, all this kind of stuff that leads to confusion instead of actually bringing clarity in our lives. So how do we push back on this? The best way that I can think to say it is, is, is choose to build your life on truth. Build your life on truth. So how do, we, how do we know what truth is? And this is what the writers do in the next verses, verses 10 to 15. We're not going to look deeply at them, but they basically say, they go through this, okay, I'm going to go through in five verses and tell you, again, why Jesus is who he is based on calculated conclusions that we have looked at, not just on Jesus' life, but actually the prophecies, what you said you believe in. It lays out a quick argument for who Jesus was, why we believe in him, why we should trust in him. They're quick to go back and establish that historical precedence that can be tested and measured. It isn't just believe it because I say so. It is believe it because there is revealed proof that we can come to this conclusion. So how? Grow in our discernment. Listen to the trusted voice in your life and never trust yourself in isolation. One of the biggest ways that we get caught in these loops is to isolate ourselves from other people, from godly wisdom, from people that we know will speak truth into our lives. Don't think that a new way of thinking has any authority until it has been put to the test, that it's been measured, calculated, and conclusions to be drawn. The truth is most new ideas that are put out there in these loops and echo chambers are actually just old ideas that have been proven false, but repackaged and repurposed to lead new people astray. We can get confused so easily. A voice that sounds like an authority is actually out to trick us, to get us. I, there was a friend of ours that lived in the city uh, for a while. She actually lived with us uh, for a season. And one day, it's afternoon, and she comes in, and she's in tears. She says, Patrick, I don't know what to do. Uh, I think I'm in trouble. The IRS has called me on the phone. I'm, I didn't pay some kind of tax. And... So I said, well, hold on, let's take a breath. And I said, what, what are they asking you to do? And they were wanting her to go to CVS to get gift cards <laughs> to then pay. And they had, they had scared her by telling her that the police were literally on the way to our house. And I, I, mean, I, I mean, it was the first time she had like done her own taxes. And so she, she was just freaked out. And so I said, so let, me, let me talk to them. And so they, they, you know, I got on. I started asking clarifying questions that they could give no answer to. And I said, you know, I'm, I can't wait. Please, please send the police 
right now. I'm happy to talk. I know most of the guys down at the 108 precinct. I'm happy for them to come by. We can sort this out. They figured out very quickly that they were getting nowhere. They hung up the phone, and she realized, oh, okay. But it sounded in her mind, without a lack of ex- with, a, with a little lack of experience, it sounded authentic, and it was leading her down a path where she was confused and going to be scammed, right? And this voice of truth, I'm grateful she took a moment and said, hold on, let me go ask somebody else. Is this true? And we asked some clarifying questions and realized it wasn't very quickly. And you know what the truth is? Most diverse and strange teachings in our life, when we get going off in a different direction, if we'll stop and our spirit will begin to say, hmm, this may not be right. And if we'll ask somebody, we'll bring somebody in who can speak the truth into our life, ask some clarifying questions, be very quickly to, to identify that as strange and diverse teachings and draw ourselves back to the truth. So seek, seek righteous wisdom by having an attention to grow in your discernment. And then the final one is found in verse 16, and it says this, Now do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So the third intention we should have is to have a generous spirit, a generous spirit. Another intention is this idea to develop, it says, you know, do what's good and share with others. Doesn't that sound like what we tell our kids when they're growing up? Do good, share your toys. You know what? The truth is that we need to hear that as well. We need to be reminded of that. And what we need to be able to grow is to have an intention to grow in kindness toward others, to grow in kindness toward others. It's hard for mature mature adults to be nice to each other and to share what you have because we live with this idea that this is mine. It's still prevalent in our thinking. This is my money, my apartment, my job, whatever we have. We like to stake ownership claims and then build defenses around to protect what's ours. And do you know what happens when we do that? It creates adversarial approaches to life and relationships. This is mine. You can't come in here. I'm going to protect it. And so we view other people eventually as adversaries. But if you want to live differently, if you want to be a person of influence of Christ as he was, then embrace generosity. The word sacrifice here, I wish I could tell you, was translated into like excitement or fun. Like, But the original Greek word that it comes from actually means victim or cost to. And this is the idea that when you and I are generous, it shouldn't be easy. It's going to cost us something to do this. And a generous spirit and the willingness to do good and share will impact our lives, but it may cost us a great deal of time, energy, and resources. So why? Why do this? Why live in this idea that as I sacrifice, it's going to hurt, cost me, I may even feel like a victim in the midst of it. There's a reason for this. And it's ultimately this. Our lives should not be a place where the kindness and the grace of God are terminated on us, the end point. We're not the terminus of God's grace and mercy. We are a target of it. We get to experience it. No, instead, our lives should be a conduit for the kindness and grace to flow through us in order to spread it around to as many others as possible. And I think for the best way for us to say this in a principle is to, to live with open hands. To live with open hands. When we live with open hands, something comes into our life and we experience it for a while, brings us joy and happiness, and then we pass it on. We pass it along. 
But when we do that, I love the idea of passing along because then something that brought me joy, I'm giving joy to somebody else. And you know what it's doing in my life? It's freeing up my hands to receive a new blessing from God. Something new coming into my life. So I'm not focused on just one single thing, but God has much more for me to experience. And I think we don't experience the abundance of God sometimes because we're hoarding what we have instead of living with open hands. Don't be a blessing hoarder. Keep your life clutter-free so that you have the mentality to give freely to then be able to receive freely. When I was probably in middle school, uh, my mom and dad came home one day and they said, we're gonna, we had this couple of extra chairs in our house and a friend of my mom's, or somebody my mom knew from work uh, had said, we could use a new chair. And so they're like, hey, we're gonna go take this to uh, you know, this lady's house. So we pile up in the car, throw the chair in the back and we get there. And I'm gonna tell you, I, I can understand why they needed a new chair because every inch of that house was covered in stuff. I'd never been into a hoarder's place. Like, I, like the idea of like hoarding anything like that, there were no TV shows back then, but you walked in, there was a pathway that maybe was a foot wide through the hallways of the house. There were leftovers from, I think, weeks ago still stacked on the refrigerator. I, I, I could tell you, I, I get a little antsy just thinking about it right now. Because <laughs> like, I like clean and clear things. And like we brought this chair in and... You know, we stack it in, we put it in the back with like six or seven other chairs that they had gotten from other people. That all they were about, they had this, I guess it's a disorder where it was just gather, hoard, and hold on to. And they had so much in their house that there was no way they could even enjoy what they had. And I think we do that in our own lives and our spiritual lives sometimes. We hold on to things and we become more anxious about losing something and we can't even think about then enjoying it. So living with our hands open allows us to live a clutter-free life. Clutter-free spiritual life. If something comes in, I begin, I enjoy it, but then I think about who could I bless with this? Who could I pass this along to? So those are our three intentions. Find maturing mentors. Find people that can be on your team. Be on somebody's team pouring into their life. Seek out wisdom, right? True godly, righteous wisdom by growing in your discernment. Realize when you're going off on diverse and strained teachings and bring truth into your life and come back to the plumb line of truth and then live generously, live open-handedly, which brings us to our Jesus philosophy of the week, which is this. A life following Jesus is intent on living differently to make a difference. That's where this book ends, right? We started with a why that Jesus is different, Jesus is complete. But now, ultimately, following Jesus is going to what make me different. I'm going to be different, and I'm going to live with a complete life. If I live this out, I can live with contentment. I can live with humbleness and kindness in my life. The idea that Jesus is complete and different now means I can live a life that's different and feels complete as well. I love that they close the circle. Here, and it makes me ask this question today. What am I intentionally trying to accomplish through my relationship with Christ? What are you trying to accomplish? This isn't about works, like, okay, I gotta go do something now. No, but what are you intentionally, why, why are you doing this? Why, why are you a person of faith? Right, that's what this whole book is about. Now that I've figured out the why, what am I gonna do? 
How am I going to help me bring redemption into our world, bring restoration into our world, bring healing into our world? And I love that we get to close today with communion. Because communion is ultimately uh, where we started, right? This idea of uh, finding a mentor of Christ who we can remember and imitate. And as we come to the table for communion, it is this beautiful reminder of what Christ did for us. His body broken for us, for our sin. He took on the punishment for our sins, the hurt that our sins caused to other people and to ourselves. The brokenness of his body reminds us of that. And then his shed blood, as the Jews remind us, is this idea of payment for that sin. There was a penalty for that that has been paid in full. And because of the brokenness and the shed blood, we now get to live bountifully and beautifully in this world. And so today, I really want this to be a time between you and and your Savior, between you and Christ. As you come and you remember Him and you go, what are you facing in your life in this moment that you need to remember Christ is with you? Christ is there. Maybe what sin are you struggling with that you need to understand and come to grips with and say, I want to find my fulfillment in you, not in this. Or what circumstance seems so overwhelming right now that you can't seem to see a way out, but yet you know that Christ's peace gives peace that passes understanding. And so in these moments we remember uh, the brokenness of his body and the shed blood. Let it be a time that you remember who Christ was to you. And so take that as you come to the table and remember who he was. And then as you take in the elements, the juice and the bread, then remember that this is an opportunity as we take him in to imitate him to the world, to be imitators of Christ, to be trophies of his grace, beautiful representations, reflections of him to our world. As we take him in, we get to reflect him out. I want to pray for us, and after that, the table's open. You can come individually or as a family, but really take this as a moment between you and Christ to say, I want to remember you and imitate you in all that I do. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for this book of Hebrews that has really challenged us to think about why, and now we come to the what. And God, allow our lives at the very simplest today to come to you out of remembrance, to remember what you have done for us, to remember that you are there with us no matter where we're at, and that now we have the opportunity to imitate you to others. God, allow this moment of communion to open our hearts more, to understand you, to invite you to to be more present in our lives, and allow us to be a better reflection of you to others. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.